Internet, hello. We're so glad you're here. This is Vox. And we, we're always asking, what does the Vox say? And the Vox says a bunch of nonsense is what the Vox says. <laughs> That's right. Internet, hello. We're glad that you are tuning in. My goodness, what a privilege it is to join you in your workout, your car, your workplace, your house. Uh, it is a great, great thing. Thank you to Bonnie for uh, last episode. She'll join us. Part two of that conversation is coming up in the future episode. But Andy, now that we've uh, we've solved... Um, a couple of, of, of huge issues. Is Adele good? No. Is Christmas before Thanksgiving appropriate? Yes. Are the Ducks bad? Yes. Do we care about the Ducks? No. Is hockey a sport? Not really. Now that we've cleared the deck on all of those controversial issues, <laughs> it's it's time, Andy, it's to a talk. Bit one-sided. It, false. <laughs> it's time to talk Christmas, Andy. It's right. Christmas. Christmas all music right. is uh, is playing in the Erie household. Um, the the home office has uh, has some Christmas decorations. Yeah, look at those guys. I know, and uh, and so it's that time. So I've been thinking about Andy, um, what what kind of presents uh, my family needs, the world needs. Yeah, and, and I've come up with uh, a good list. Okay, all right, all right. Let's do this. So up. so this is from Amazon, the purveyor of everything that's good, holy, and true. Uh, here we go. Ready. Accoutrements, emergency underpants. Okay, I kid you not. Uh, here, here is their. Uh, they're called. Uh oh, one pair fits most adults. Always ready to use. Oh, good. And so for for those of us uh, like Al Roker and others who you know at times um, have have a bit of uh, control issues, then then perhaps this is a this is something to get uh, for your loved one. With so many great surprises during Christmas, I mean, those seem <laughs> that could those be seem one necessary. That, yeah, that could I, be... I should get those before Christmas. Yes, you know, because of all the joy that's yes. uncontainable. Oh my goodness! Well, it will be contained uh, in <laughs> your new underwear. Uh, uh, a cookbook called Fifty uh, Excuse me, Fifty Shades of Chicken. And uh, I was such a big fan of the novels. I just can't help. <laughs> I just can't help but, you know, uh, uh, buy that one. Uh, and, then, and then, no lie, this is a real thing. Uh, this is my new favorite um, online shopping catalog. Um, it's Bacon Body Wash. Bacon yep. Body Wash. Bacon Body Wash. Make you very, very popular with, um, uh, with all the animals in the area. Uh, my my wife loves uh, the smell of bacon, so perhaps I, I don't know. Perhaps, or you're going to attract a ton of dudes, right? right <laughs> who just think there's barbecue uh, going on, and uh, and there you go. So it's good. So Andy, uh, let me ask you this: worst Christmas present you've ever gotten? Go. Oh. I don't I don't prep Andy for these no, very this important is, questions. This is catching me off guard. Okay. Okay. Um, uh... Come on. Worst Christmas. Anaheim Ducks <laughs> tickets. Okay, okay, okay. So here is um, Adele's new album. I don't think this is this wouldn't. This, I, worst is a tough one for me to qualify, but I can. I have a very memorable Christmas present that was definitely a bit out of the out, outside right, let's the hear box. It. Let's hear. It. Uh, so I um, at one point in time I was I was dating a girl and uh, was with her family for Christmas and she had an aunt that liked to that I don't even know where she would shop and she would just come with. I mean, the most crazy gifts you could ever see. Extra underwear? 
I Thank wish you body wash. You know, I don't think so. In context, those actually would have been a bit more compelling because this was probably such a middle of the road. But um, I got a pair of um, binoculars. Kind of. I love that. <laughs> this is a, this is, this story definitely isn't like climaxing at this as this big moment. It, I think it was that's just exact, a pair that's of binoculars. Exactly how it should land was just a pair of a binoculars. A pair of binoculars. Yeah, and, you know. You know, I I look at Andy. And, uh, and were, like, the dating my granddaughter, and um, it looks like he needs some binoculars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now right. if you're the granddaughter, I don't know. Maybe you're a little offended by that. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not terribly sure. <laughs> I, I don't know the ba- the worst gift I've ever received, but I, I can think of the worst gifts I've ever given, and, oh, and they've okay. all I like the sound of that. They've all focused around my my beautiful wife, mm-hmm. and. So, so one year, and Andy, I recommend you're you're relatively newly married. Uh, don't ever do this. I got her an exercise ball. You know, one of those big exercise balls with little hand weights. Oh yeah. And um, when she opened that, I, I just I, I you know she's not in any way, shape, or form hefty. I mean, it, I, I I'm the hefty one of of the relationship, but I just thought you know she talked about wanting to get into shape, and I I thought okay, right. Oh, Andy, that was just awful. That was listen. Not the look of disgust on her face, the fact that the exercise ball didn't even stay under the tree. It was like put into a cupboard and forgotten till like three years later when I found it. I almost considered rewrapping it and giving it to her again. But I valued <laughs> but I valued my life. I I, I I I struggle in this area. Like I don't you know, I don't know how to handle those conversations like, hey, I'm really excited to exercise. I'm no. excited about losing weight no. and I think, oh, no. so should I be the person no. with the solution and uh, no. present no. The, the tools no. necessary for such no. a venture? Nope. <laughs> Let me tell you, Andy, no. Just words of wisdom from your friend Mike. No. Don't Oh honey, why would you do that? You don't even need to. I don't even understand why you're talking about exercising. Yeah. Just your being beautiful burns calories. Right. It's fine. That's right. Um, I, I got her an ironing board once. Okay. Um, not popular. She said she needed one. I thought, well, okay. She's like, that doesn't qualify as a Christmas present. That's just a normal... It's like a weekend gift. Right. Not even a weekend gift. That's just like, know. hey, I'm in Target. Can you pick me up an ironing board? <laughs> so, so the Mikester, he's got some work to do if I can speak of myself in the third person. Um... And uh, so I'm about a month out, Andy. I'm about a month out, okay. and and I'm gonna. She listens to this inconsistently, but I, I got a I got a really good one. I got a really good present okay. for her, but I can't describe it now, or you'll have to bleep it out. Okay. Way to go on the bleeping, by the way. Yeah. Somebody somebody <laughs> Facebooked me and said, "Why do you bleep? I know what you said." Well, we were, and I, my response was, Andy wanted to practice the bleeper. Yeah, I, I love Bonnie, it. dude, Bonnie. Bonnie, she's a Man. loose cannon. Oh, my goodness. Watch she, out. She unleashed the heathen floodgates. <laughs> All right, so uh, I thought what we'd do today, uh, we're going to get to Bonnie part two, no question about it. But um, something that's been dominating the news, um, at least uh, through twitter facebook and you know other social media has been um the aftermath of the paris attacks Mm -hmm. and uh you know the the horrific nature of what happened you're sitting uh, at a restaurant or you're at a concert and all of a sudden you know just unsuspectingly you're now uh being shot at i mean i just can't even imagine how horrific that is um 
but in the the aftermath has is kind of we the the original attack and our solidarity with France has been swallowed up now by this refugee crisis mm-hmm. and the debate around it. Yeah. And and I I'm no I'm no social policy expert Andy. Yeah. I I got a I got a B I think in political science. I got caught cheating on an exam. This was this was years and years ago. I don't even know that Mike but my buddy Paul and I were trying to cheat our way through political science, and it did not work. So, so kids, think, don't do poli- it. Pretty sure politics cheat their way through political science. I thought it was appropriate. <laughs> I thought it was totally appropriate, but evidently no. Um, so I do not recommend cheating. This is a. We'll have to put a warning on this. This is a no cheating zone. Okay. Um, so so I'm not a policy expert, but but we've got a few candidates out there who are claiming to represent Jesus. Who, um, in and I represent Jesus poorly, right? So I'm the world's biggest sinner, but but the whole dialogue around this refugee crisis is absolutely insane and antichrist. I I I mean, obviously there are many, 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 many Christians and followers of Jesus who are compassionate and, and who are standing up against this overriding narrative of fear and secure our borders. And you've got Trump talking about, you know, a national registry. What an asinine suggestion. I mean, he's just, uh, oh, I can't even believe people are thinking about this guy. He just plays to fear. You, you've got you've got people. You've got Jeb Bush with a, in a straight face saying we're only going to let Christian refugees in, and because Christians have never done anything bad in the world, right? Yeah. Right. Jeez. And, and then and then he's asked, well, how are you going to identify them? And he just says, well, you're you 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 can just know, just know. And and it's so. Listen, and I and I agree. It's complex. And I agree that we just can't we can't say yes to everybody, but holy cow, shouldn't the church be the last group of people to suggest that fear should win this conversation? And, And instead, we're the first. I mean, first of all, you have the entire Old Testament narrative of Israel being a refugee, foreigners and strangers, and then God saying to Israel. Look out for the foreigners and the strangers among you because you were foreigners and aliens and strangers in Egypt. All right, so you have that entire narrative right there. Secondly, then you have Jesus who flees persecution into Egypt and returns into it. And he has to go to a different region in Israel because of the ruler that was now ruling over the Galilee. So so uh, there was a refugee crisis, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Herod was slaughtering uh, uh, kids under two years old. Uh, and, and then you have, and then you have, you have all of this teaching, love your neighbor as yourself, be kind to those who persecute you, do good to all. I mean, you have, you have all of this teaching and, and, and oh, hey, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Is, is it just the Christians that are my neighbors? Is it just the people like me, Jesus, that are my neighbors? Jesus lays the smack down on the religious thinking that goes with that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. and we can talk about it at a later date, but it's just insane that you could look at the, the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, and come up with any other posture than compassion and grace, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, I, granted, is there a risk in this? Yes! Yes, there's risk in this. Yes! But which is more risky? That, that 30 terrorists uh, come in or that we allow hundreds of thousands or just thousands 
or just hundreds of refugees, no place for shelter. When if we were in their situations fleeing ISIS, man, we'd want shelter ourselves. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, and I get it. People are, I can hear the criticism already. You can't just say the a government cannot take a biblical posture. You cannot draw a straight line from love your enemies into a government. Um, we have to defend ourselves. We have to enforce our borders. I, you know what? I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I'm fine if politicians want to say political things. But don't you do it in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Don't you do it in the name of Jesus. Jesus, you cannot hijack Jesus for this. Yeah. You can't. You just cannot. And what's so puzzling to me, and again, I am a huge sinner, the biggest sinner in this room, Andy, of the two of us, mm-hmm. but not by much. <laughs> not by much. <laughs> not by much, so, and it's not so, a very big Yes, room. I recognize my own fallenness and frailty in this, but it gets me so fired up that the overriding narrative is fear. Uh, in all of these things. And so because we're afraid, we have to secure. And because we secure, uh, you know, you just go, uh, there's something desperately wrong in some parts of the evangelical subculture. So so I've taken to calling it uh, the evangelical fear complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. there's, There's this overriding narrative being written by by uh, some Christians, by and 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 maybe there's some some bits of truth to it, but but that we are a persecuted minority in America, we're in danger of losing all of our religious liberties, and 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 there is the sustained war against Christianity that goes from the nonsensical Starbucks cups yeah. to the fact that Christians are being persecuted, and that's that like that's really happening. Yeah. Uh, and they're fleeing for their lives, and there are double standards that that um, some apply that that everywhere religion is granted, you know, grace and acceptance, except the followers of Jesus. So I get that there's some truth to this, but the predominant posture in response to these things. So here's this great humanitarian crisis, where the church has the opportunity to represent Jesus well, not just to Christian Syrians, but to Muslim Syrians. Mm -hmm. But instead, what you hear from some of our most vocal leaders is secure the borders, check them all, register them. You know, maybe we'll tear down mosques. I mean, it's the most insane. The religious liberty that we insist on having, we do not give in this respect. And, and, And it's so crazy to me. So there is this evangelical fear complex that the Syrian thing is just a symptom of. Is mm-hmm. this making sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. I, I actually think about the same thing when even talking about hell, you know, and kind of scaring people into Christianity, right. you know, and making fronting right. the fear of hell is like, you, fear. you know, that's, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's probably in the same camp of, of thought. Well, there's this, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. And I, and I've played into it and I, I'm, I'm part of the problem as always, but, but it seems like, um, there, I was watching, so I have a confession. So we may have to have confession alert. Okay. I love to watch religious programming. I, I absolutely love it. So there was this guy named Gene Scott that used to be on in the day. Did you ever see him? No. Oh, I, you know what? I might have seen him. I just wouldn't it's like public by name. access sure. television at like, you know, midnight, one in the morning. And he'd be in this big whiteboard and he'd be writing in Hebrew and Greek and he'd be yelling at people and asking for money and riding horses. It was just the craziest thing. So I love watching religious television. And 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 so I've I, I've been I've had a couple of things kind of set my way, and one of them was a show where 
guest after guest is brought on in the name of Jesus to announce the impending judgment and doom of America. So economic collapse, uh, an EMP exploding over Mm -hmm. America, Um, uh, financial ruin, race wars. I mean, just the most drastic... Um, fear-based imaginings that, you know, they pull from the Old Testament scriptures um, to announce. And then here's how how the TV show makes money. Are you ready? They sell for a donation of $2,500. They will give you 28 bins of uh, bulk dry food so that you can hunker down eight years of food. Okay, so so no one and no one notices the disconnect between let me just purvey fear and then here, let me sell you. It's it's the dumbest, most transparent thing. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, my my Lord, this this is the evangelical fear complex that we have co-opted middle class values Mm -hmm. um, of, of comfort, safety and security. We've baptized them. Uh, into Jesus' name, yeah. and, and then now we consume them, market them, um, and 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 in order to do so, we have to keep people in a constant state of anxiety and worry. And I just think this is demonic. It mm. is absolutely demonic and antichrist, mm. because the last thing, the last thing the church should ever be is afraid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, we follow mm-hmm. a, a, a crucified Messiah, evidently who's risen um, over death, and uh, who's reigning forever. And we believe supposedly that the death of the body is just a new beginning. And yet, and I'm af- I'm afraid of death as the next person, but I'm afraid of the slow death, the disease death, the the slow withering away. I'm not afraid of dying. Um, in some sudden, dramatic, and glorious, you know, yes, William Wallace, you know, needs me, uh, or Maximus. Yeah, I, and William Wallace had a pretty suffering. Okay, death. that's true. Well, <laughs> I, I'd be there watching, and then I would, I would uh, charge the fields of Bannockburn in his name afterwards, in my kilt. I now, so so we have this we have this this narrative written by the evangelical fear complex that says we're a persecuted minority. We have to protect our rights. And I agree. I mean, a religious liberty is incredibly important to me and incredibly important to our society and should be applied equally, no question. But here again are the double standards, right? We're going to protect it for Christians, but we're not going to do it for Muslims. Well, that's Jesus has gotten off of that boat. Secondly, if the world sees this predominantly, quote, Christian nation, howling over the airwaves about the necessity to act in ways that are not congruent with Jesus. But these are people that have claimed the name of Jesus and they're not differentiating between their political opinions about what we should do as a civil government and their personal discipleship to Jesus. I've got all kinds of problems with this. Mm -hmm. So I think the church absolutely has to stand up and say, no, these people do not speak for Jesus. These people do not speak for us. We, that Jesus would welcome Syrian refugees, is it? of course he would. He was one, yeah. for crying out loud. And, and he would do it at risk to himself. Because here's what the evangelical fear complex does. First, they cause us to hunker down. It's the circle the wagons, keep us safe mentality that causes us to hunker down and fear the enemy. Which is the antithesis of what Jesus says. Love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. Okay? 
No, what we do is we label our enemy, we ostracize our enemy, we categorize, we exaggerate our enemy, and then we come up with all sorts of strategies to keep our enemy far away. Yep. And I'm not saying we shouldn't protect ourselves from our enemies. I lock my doors at night, right? I mean, I, I, if, if someone broke in, I would, I would try to do whatever I could to keep them from harming my family. I, I get all that. But this is so exaggerated and so over the top. And, and I think people don't realize how it's perceived in the rest of the world. See, our job isn't to be safe, Andy. Our job is to make Jesus beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, see, that is where we miss him. I hear something I read today that I, it just blows my mind. So this is in the early church. I'm doing a lot of talking, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> yes i uh, yeah I i'm sorry am, i'm fired up no I, i'm i'm listening i'm thinking like because i'm a fearful I'm, guy yeah. yeah i get it especially with the family i get it yeah but it's the hijacking of jesus that that gets me so worked up yeah you know what i mean yeah so and not everyone does this of course and maybe not even most do this but but certainly some of the loudest voices do and because those loudest voices exist there have to be counter voices that say, no, I don't think this is congruent with the heart of God. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the, the greatest, so, so Christians, of course, were a persecuted minority in the Roman Empire um, for about three centuries. Uh, initially, they were seen as an outgrowth of Judaism, and Judaism was a protected religion, and so they were left alone. Mm-hmm. But as Jews and Christians um, broke a fellowship, that Christians began to persecute Jews and vice versa, um, Rome began to see that, that Christianity was its own thing, began to persecute it very dramatically. So we have stories of all these martyrs. And, and, and you would have, in Roman literature, we have uh, accounts of, of people who would attack Christianity and the, and the objections they would level against it. Mm-hmm. But you also have these counter-arguments written by Christians, by Christian leaders or bishops or whatever. So here's an example from AD 260, uh, it's an Easter letter from Bishop Dionysius, um, who talked about how Christians had responded to a plague. All right. He said, uh, heedless of danger, the Christians took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Now, I'm not sure that was true in every single situation, but can you imagine anyone making that argument today about Christians? Mm. That, that the argument for Christianity, and again, there are, there are loads of people who get this and do this well, but they don't get any press. Right. So could you literally say to the world, look at the way Christians put themselves in danger for the sake of the world. Yeah. And, and there are people that do that. We have, we have zillions of Christians who do that. Yeah. China did it well after the Chinese earthquake uh, like five years ago, six years ago. That yeah. Was, you have, you have yeah. incredible, incredible mm-hmm. examples of this. Yeah. I, but but they're they're often not in America. <laughs> yeah. Is my only no one no knows about them, right? Right? You, yeah. So so there's this sense in which we have the the evangelical fear complex has so elevated personal comfort and safety above everything else. So if the world were to end, what you need to do is hunker down and have your eight years of food, 
right? Don't share, don't be Jesus. I mean, all of our apocalyptic scenarios are bunkering up and hunkering down. And yeah. and you realize, man, the some of the, the greatest testimony to the truth of the Christian message was people who at the risk of their own selves would show radical love to people who were considered enemies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so this is the opportunity to do that. Instead of focusing mm-hmm. on radical Islam, I'd rather focus on radical Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that civil authorities have authority to to protect and to, to seek out. I got all that. Right. I'm just saying, shouldn't Christians be the folks that are least in favor of torture? Shouldn't we be the folks who are least in favor of war? Shouldn't we be the folks that are least in favor of revenge when France is bombing them and everyone's going, yeah, no, I thought we followed a different Jesus. You know, those who live by the sword die by the sword, Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world. I get it that we have civil authorities, but my goodness. I think Jesus would call it into question. I really think he would. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that so much. I, and it, the fun, I find funny. I was about to say, or some <laughs> of the, the one of the the things I'm I'm weighing when I think about this is we have this interesting kind of you know sociological thing happening right now with with social media. You now have this very removed platform to say whatever your opinion is, right? right. So. I like mean, we're so, doing right like now. we're doing right now on a podcast. Right. You know, we're making we're making a we? statement. Who are we're we to say these things? Right. But it's like, and this is where I think what we've talked about a lot is that so much of genius, um, Jesus's poignancy. Is, Who was is, a genius? Yes, is back to the individual. It's yeah. back to yes. This is this is your behavior to act. Whether we're saying let's call upon the greater organization to act this way, right. he would point back and be like what are you doing about it? That's right. You know, and that's kind of, I think that's that's the greatest question we call out all of this is while right. all of this is circling and happening, what we're talking about, we have to ask ourselves, what do we physically actually do yes. to represent what Jesus is asking us to do? Instead of just getting on Facebook and sharing, you know, 20 different articles of people saying whatever and just joining a conversation, getting beyond the conversation and turning it into relationship and action. That's it. And, and, and part of this, I, I don't even know how to. I mean, I found... Um, uh, an incredible uh, letter from um, clergy in Kansas written to uh, Governor Sam Brownback um, <laughs> that, that says uh, that says as followers of Jesus who himself was a refugee child escaping infanticide and political tyranny uh, and whose very birth in a barn happened because his mother and father found no one to welcome him. We oppose the executive order from our governor. And that was the order to prevent Syrian refugees yeah. from settling yep. in Kansas. We stand as Christians, pastors, ministry leaders who desire to welcome Syrian refugees to Kansas. And then they go through, there. we refuse to allow refugees who are beloved children of God to be broadly genera- generalized as terrorists and used as political scapegoats. Our faith compels us with a belief that we cannot defeat our enemies through hatred, but through love. But that mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about. Right. There well, just has to be another voice. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with that statement, but I guess here's here's my 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 struggle with that is that All right. it's them saying as a group, we're opposed you know, we were opposing and trying to raise up that this decision should not be made. Right. When at the end of the day it's like if there's this kind of line between large level politics and then like kind of soci- like socio right. level organizational politics yes. like things we can engage in that we're not waiting on the government to participate in Correct. so we can accomplish yes and yet there's because all that saying to me is that 
hey, you up there making this big decision, we, we just we're refusing against what Good you're question. saying. Yeah. But like what rather it's like to me, it's almost like however you go with this. Right. If somehow a Syrian refugee ends up in my neighborhood, my right. door is open. Right. Because saying that looks right. different because it's like, well, what are you suggesting? You're going to ban your whole church together, create some rally and like right. get all political okay. and try to make the change when it, it's like, Fair question. will that make the change? Fair question. Know. All right. So, so let's answer this two ways. One way is we know Jesus would challenge the prejudice and fear in each of our hearts. Right. So let's talk about that in a second. So he would deal with us individually. The second invitation is exactly what you're saying, which is to embody the alternative. Mm -hmm. And that's what the communities of Jesus did that was so compelling in the Roman Empire. They embodied the new humanity where Jew and Gentile, slave and free, would gather together, male and female, in ways that no other voluntary society saw happen. Mm -hmm. So you have to create the alternative. So one of the one of the things that I, I get asked all the time is, uh, what's your stance on abortion? And my stance is, that I think abortion is, um, I think it is wrong. I think it is immoral. Um, in most cases, I think there are exceptions to that for sure. I think, but I, the biggest thing I think is, is abortion is uh, anti-woman. Um, it's promoted as pro-woman. I just, I think it's anti-woman. I think there's an incredible, there's an incredible feminist movement out there against abortion mm. um, that says, no, we will not have surgery to be equal with you. Uh, we will not have surgery in order to have the same rights at work. Uh, we will not have surgery to uh, make it easier for you to indulge sexually uh, with us without commitment. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so for me, whenever I, and I don't preach against the evils of abortion, what I do preach is that if um, if someone's pregnant, they're considering an abortion, if they would be willing to keep the child, the Eries would be willing to adopt the child. Yeah. Or find a place for that child to be adopted. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You yeah. have to embody the alternative. So, yes, I think there's a place for the political platform and say, hey, as clergy, as followers of Jesus, we don't think we're representing Jesus well. But I think there also is the sense of, you're absolutely right. What if we all posted, hey, if there are any Syrian refugees here, uh, you're welcome at my house. Now, I'm sure they're all on Facebook, Andy, yeah. and you know, able to see that. Yeah. But perhaps. Hey, ISIS is on Twitter. Yay! Dang it. Not, well, Anonymous is going after him now. Yeah, yeah. Now, now let's go back to the whole heart thing, because that's really what I want to talk about. I mean, yeah. I could be dead wrong on this Syrian refugee stuff in terms of what social policy should be. Uh, and I admit my ignorance, and it's it's way more complex than what I'm painting. I got it. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm using hyperbole to make the general point that our posture should be towards mercy and compassion. Yep. Overall, right. yeah. even at the risk of our own safety. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is, here's what the here's what the evangelical fear complex does. And this is where Jesus would challenge me and he challenged us as his disciples. The reason we're afraid is because we treasure wrongly. All right? So, it's time for a little Bible. Bible alert. All right. Bible alert. He just opened it and the whole room turned to a golden haze. What? <laughs> So, so Jesus has this very famous section in, uh, in a place called the Sermon on the Mount. He was not on a horse. He was on a mountainside, maybe a hillside. Um, and, and, and what my English Bible does is it breaks everything into chunks with different headings. And obviously, you didn't have any of that stuff. And so there's one chunk that says, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where they can be corrupted by moth or by vermin. 
You got to watch out for the vermin. Ferrets. They can destroy ferrets and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That, and these treasures cannot be corrupted. Where moth and, moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart is. Now, then Jesus, and he says a couple other things that seemingly relate to money and possessions. But then... My English Bible has a paragraph break and a, a new section that says, do not worry. But in actuality, it's the same thought because he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more important than clothes? Now, some of these, just wait. We're going we, we're gonna to present a different way of understanding these very hallmarked verses. Um, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Um, are you not much more, much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, expect to answer is no? And why do you worry about clothes? See, I, I wear the same thing all the time, Andy. Oh, business uniform. Business yeah. uniform. That's right. Khakis and a black shirt, because black yeah. is slimming. I'm just in obedience to Jesus. That's what I tell my wife. See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. They don't make their own clothes. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the greatest king uh, in all Israel, at least in terms of his splendor, uh, was, was not dressed as gorgeously as one of these flowers. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, those outside the covenant community of God, run after all those things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first, treasure first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, Andy, yeah. the connection between treasuring and worrying is the key to the binding this whole thing together. Okay. Because if you treasure things that can be corrupted, then you will worry. Jesus' answer isn't to... Uh, be at peace because bad things will never happen to you. His answer is to change your treasurings, then you'll be at peace. So for instance, yeah. because think about it. He says, he says, be like the grass or the flowers or the birds. Now, birds in those days were um, used as food and offerings. Grass, he even says, uh, is here one day, the next day is thrown into the fire. So he's not talking about the fact that birds never die, or that grass uh, doesn't wither, or that flowers never fade. That can't be what he's saying. He's not recommending to us the fact that all the grass and the flowers and the birds are all indestructible or nothing ever bad happens. What he's recommending to us instead is that they're all carefree. They're not worried. That, that's a huge point. It's not the security of the birds and the grass that he's talking about. It's the carefreeness of the birds and the grass. That's the goal. And how do you get to be carefree? Well, Jesus' answer is easy. Change what you treasure. So if you treasure youth, you cannot help but worry about getting old. 
Yeah. If you treasure your health, you cannot help but worry about losing your health. If you treasure uh, uh, the financial security of a, four, a 401k program, you cannot help but be utterly afraid when the stock market tanks. See, Jesus's answer is radical. It's absolutely radical. It's not, hey, don't be afraid, nothing bad will happen. It's no, bad oh, yeah. things will happen. And in light of eternity, they're not that bad. Yeah. So, so treasure the one thing that terrorists and cancer and divorce and pandemics cannot touch, and that's his kingdom. That's his kingdom. You are safe in God's kingdom, not because bad things won't happen, but because when bad things happen, your security is found in the kingdom, not in the absence of the bad things. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and so, what the industrial fear complex does, the evangelical fear complex, it causes us to treasure our safety and our comfort and our security and our peace mm-hmm. in ways that cause us to not live as Jesus would live in the world. Jesus was at peace, not because he didn't know he was going to be tortured, not because he didn't know uh, he was going to die. He was at peace because he treasured the one thing that is absolutely incorruptible, Mm -hmm. and that is God's character and God's work in the world, like his kingdom. And so the invitation for us is, first of all, we have to fast from the evangelical fear complex. Turn off Fox News. Turn off Glenn Beck. Turn off... It turn off these religious shows that just are preying on the fear of people. And it's not just the Republican conservative side that does this. The Democratic side, side does this. There's, there's a financial interest on both sides in keeping us afraid. Because yeah. then they sell us products yep. to alleviate the fear. So we need to repent. I need to repent of all the false treasuring I do. And then I have to say, okay, so what, what do I treasure? And the way you find out what you really treasure is you ask what you're really afraid of. So here are things. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of um, being rejected by people. I'm afraid of dying a slow withering death. I'm afraid of not being able to provide for my family. Those are my, that's what I'm afraid of. So what are the corresponding treasurings? Well, there you go. Uh, I, I, I treasure my, my health. I treasure my um, financial security. I treasure the approval of other people. You just go right down the list. And so Jesus is an advocating peace and compassion because nothing bad will happen. He's advocating peace and compassion in light of the bad things that could and may and will happen because you've treasured something that cannot be threatened by anything bad that happens to you. I think that's where he'd go with the conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I think he would, um, you know, he comes after his resurrection, he says, my peace I give to you. You will have trouble in the world, but do not be afraid I've overcome it. And so we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to avoid trouble in the world. And I think it could be better spent picturing the alternative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know how that hits you. Um, I I don't want this to turn into a political conversation uh, because Jesus isn't liberal or Democrat. I'm not either. Uh, I'm a registered independent, and I find parts of both parties I like, and I find parts of both parties I can't stand. And I wish there was a third party, the Jesus party. Um, Shane Claiborne, uh, Clay, yeah. Claiborne wrote a book called Jesus for President, which yeah. I thought was awesome. So, 
uh, the Jesus party. But even then, we'd argue and we'd have like totally. eighty-seven there'd different. Be, yeah, there'd be plenty, plenty. Of, <laughs> there's plenty of stuff on all sides. It, it, it's so the thing that it, I was just thinking about as you talk about this is that when we think about Jesus' time and the different types of people he's coming across and thinking of, like the Roman Empire, like had such a governance and presence in like their rollout of law and how everything kind of applied. I think we're kind of under that same thing even in America. We're trying to hold up so much of what the country was founded upon. So we 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 push things into place to help. Uh, protect that freedom right i think in a way that freedom in some ways has probably made christians really lazy you know because it's that if if you i would love to find a conversation of of a christian who's only lived in america has barely traveled anywhere and then comes face to face with a syrian refugee and tries to find a sense of relatability because for them their government's fallen apart they have no dependency on government giving them freedom on giving them what they would perceive the way we perceive daily life. Yep. So interjecting Jesus into that and saying, amidst all this other stuff that could happen, you know, the safety of your government, you know, food in the in the cupboard, here it's like this is what brings people peace. That's right. And it's like it doesn't matter who you are, what government you're under, do or do not have, but there is so much that you treasure that right. will come in the way of right. this. That's right. And it's like that's, Hold on, hold on, let me do my, my Andy impersonation. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> it sounds good. That's it good, does. That's it does. Impression. Andy, see, you're underutilized. Not really. Not not really. <laughs> um. <laughs> so so we're gonna get to Bonnie part two. Um, as always, we're we're so happy uh, to be doing this and to be a part of um, to be a part of uh, your life and journey wherever you are. Um, and, and we're dreaming up some, some stuff for the Vox community at the beginning of the new year that, that, uh, I think will be pretty exciting. So stay tuned for that, but, uh, follow us on Twitter, um, like us on Facebook, subversivekingdom.com, which Andy tells me looks lame, um, (laughs) and it needs redone, but I don't know. There's only so much you can do with my face, Andy. There's only so much you can do. I, I Photoshop think, cannot I think erase. The opposite. I think there's so much oh, we can well, do yeah. with your face. Yeah. Maybe my not uh, with your hair. My but. Nate, my big Nate, twelve year old, told me my doppelganger was Bob the Tomato from VeggieTales, which I <laughs> I thought was hurtful. He'll be getting the extra pair of underwear present on the uh, under the tree, I think. Ooh, that's good. Um uh, and uh, so what we'll do is is we'll keep we'll keep working uh, through this stuff. Appreciate you all. Let's do our blessing. If you're in your car, if you're working out, if you're in your office, please understand that God is with you there. What you're doing now is just as religious and significant as anything else that you do in a quote church building. Um, your whole life matters to God, and uh, your whole life is an opportunity to grow in the service and worship of this Jesus. And so may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace in these days. Amen and amen. Till next time, brothers and sisters, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.